Welcome back. We are on episode 10, which is amazing to me. Number one, because I actually have been able to pull off creating podcasts, but uh, two, just uh, being with you all, listening to the stories, hearing feedback from um, you across the nation has been truly a gift to me. So thank you and uh, keep sharing your stories. Today we have a very special guest. You are going to be kind of a fly on the wall listening to an amazing woman. Her name is Kay Pranis and she is a national leader in restorative justice and she has a specialization in peacemaking circles. She has served as the restorative justice planner for the Minnesota Department of Corrections from 1994 to 2003. She actually created all of the um, the work within that. But before that, she worked for six years as the director of research services at the Citizens Council of Crime and Justice. She has written and presented papers on peacemaking circles and restorative justice in the United States, in Canada, Australia, and Japan. And since 1998, Kay has conducted circle trainings in a diverse range of communities, from schools to prisons to workplaces and churches, from rural uh, farm towns in Minnesota to Chicago's South Side. Kay has even done extensive trainings in Brazil. So you are getting a just a really wonderful person to listen and uh, Kay is probably one of the most humble people I've met and I think you're going to enjoy this. This is a recorded conversation with myself and Kay and actually some of my teammates at the Catalasso group and we are having a conversation on the practical ways in which circles can help families who are in conflict. Well, I hope all of you can now see how much we love Kay and why we love Kay. She's just a remarkable woman and um, has been such a blessing to each of us. Kay has trained and equipped uh, my entire team. We give her the credit of just being present and available to us to ask questions. And so we really love this woman. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would encourage you to go and pick up Kay's book, It's called The Little Book of Circle Processes. It's about $5 on Amazon or the Living Justice Press website. It's about 80 pages long, but I consider it a fantastic uh, resource and manual to, in my early days of learning how to do circle, it helped me um, see and understand uh, what Kay was talking about. It's just such a well-written and easy-to-read book. So check that out, and we will see you next week as we continue conversations on practical ways that families can bring circles home. Hi, everyone. Uh, I am Kay Pranis, um, living here in St. Paul, and um, I am one of the luckiest people on earth. Um, I do this work of sharing the circle process with people, but I came to it very accidentally. I actually have no formal training in any related field. So I want you to know it doesn't take a degree, doesn't require being a professional of some kind, that that this is something that is a, a basic human process. But I was very fortunate that the way my journey unfolded, I got to learn about this process in the context of restorative justice 
and then realized that it was much bigger than just when we uh, cause harm to each other as human beings and began to be most interested in how the circle process is a way for us to create a culture in which we take better care of each other. And, and for me, this, I was a stay-at-home mom for 16 years, and so I feel very strongly about families, about the wisdom that's in families, about the importance of the community supporting families in accessing their own wisdom. And I found the circle process to be this amazing space for accessing our, our collective wisdom. And so it just became a passion in my life to share this with anybody and everybody who thought that it might be useful in their lives. And I always say to people, you know, take what fits for you. If it doesn't fit for you, you can leave it on the side of the road. Um, and, uh, and as you take it in, I would suggest that actually, if it resonates for you, it's because you already knew it. And that, that we have a lot of wisdom that we don't recognize in our own lives. And circle helps us get in touch with the wisdom we already have, but we haven't noticed because we don't have the right kind of space to, to notice our own wisdom. So, uh, so I'm really pleased to be with, here, with you tonight. So when you have a conflict, it's different than those uh, other circles which are not dealing with conflict. And it often requires that before you try to come together for everybody to talk about the situation, that whoever is gonna be keeping this circle, whoever's gonna be leading the circle, spends time with each member of the family that's coming individually. So there's these one-to-one uh, -one meetings with each person who's coming individually before you bring them into the circle. And those, those meetings are to help you as a facilitator or keeper to understand what are the core issues from each person's perspective so that you can design questions that will really help the, the family explore what they need to explore. Also, so you get a sense of how volatile people might be or not be when they come together, that you, um, you're really establishing their trust in you in this, um, we call them pre-meetings before the sitting down in the circle. So you meet with each person who's going to be there and you have a conversation about what their concerns are, any questions they have about the process uh, and, you know, get a sense from them if they if they feel that they'll be okay in that space. And uh, so that's one of the things you do is this meeting each person individually before the circle. When you're thinking about environment, one of the things you pay attention to is what's the best space to meet in? That you want to meet in a space that's not doesn't feel like it belongs to one side or the other of the conflict. So you don't want to use the den that's strongly associated with the father if there's conflict between the father and the son, right? You want to use some other space. It might even be in someone else's house, or it could be in that house, but a, a space that's understood to, to belong to everybody, right? To be a common space. Um, and you're paying attention to those sort of 
unspoken dynamics that that can happen around uh, especially around power positions in a family right parents have more power than the than the children and so so you want to make sure that, that your space is a place where everyone is comfortable and feels like they belong that that it doesn't belong to to someone else and with the objects that you're bringing similarly whatever you put in the center you want to make sure that it that you have that might be individual things that represent different people but you want everybody to be represented in the center you don't want anybody to feel like oh they chose some things in the center that don't connect to me so everything you do you're paying attention to making sure that uh, that you're not favoring one side or the other and that that you're not leaving anyone feeling like they're not represented in the, the space that you're creating and you need to make sure ahead of time that people have some sense of the amount of time you need to make sure that you're in a space where no one else is going to be running through in the middle right because that can really disrupt the sense of safety so in the planning you're, you're trying to figure out okay so do we have a space where there won't be any interruptions from anyone outside the group that's sitting in circle and um that we're making sure that people have set aside enough time on their calendars to to be able to stay in it because you don't you don't want to get halfway through and then one person says, oh, whoops, I had something else going on and, and I need to leave now. Um, those kinds of things. Because it, once you get into the conversation about the conflict, um, it's disruptive if someone leaves. It's, it's not impossible to continue, but it's really one of the, the things that's most helpful in Circle is if people will stay and listen through to the end. Um, because if if you create a good space where everybody listens to each other and stays, even if they have moments when they're not very happy about what's being said, if people stay and are honest, a family can always get to a better place through this conversation. question uh, before we move on. So I'm picturing like Nicole, you were talking about how you've done conflict circles in your family. Were you the one leading those circles, even though you were a part of the family? Yes. In my situation, um, my family is very distrustful of outsiders and will close down um, and not be very vulnerable if somebody who is not actively involved in the situation is present um, and I do have the trust of my family members they even though they had no idea what circle was before they showed up they trusted that I knew what I was going to be facilitating so um, in in my case it was um, it seemed to be useful <laughs> that I was the one I maybe you want to check in with my family members but I felt like it worked okay for me to be facilitating uh those those particular conversations yeah okay. i'm just picturing like when you know kay's talking about doing the interviews beforehand and feeling out where people are and any implicit bias or grudges or things like that if you're in the middle of it also like how much honesty are you going to get even in the interview process beforehand and if you're a part of it and you're leading it like how 
honest are people going to be or how open are they even going to be if if they're at odds with maybe the circle keeper so i'm just trying to think of like actual family dynamics you know where oh well dad's always in charge so we're just going to do what he says even if we don't want to or you know yeah the key always lies so there's this or you know what i mean yeah the key question is whether people trust you and if in fact you are a direct participant in the current conflict, generally not everybody is going to trust you. So in that case, you need someone else that, if you're a direct participant in the current conflict, then, then you're probably not a good choice. Uh, but the main question is, do all the participants, if, if all the participants trust you and you're not a main participant in the conflict, uh, it's actually stronger to do it from the inside because you know everybody well, and the trust comes quicker. But if everybody, if there is no one in the family that everybody trusts, then it's better to bring someone in from, from the outside. The closer that can be to family, the better. So for instance, if, if the family belonged to a particular church and they knew someone in the church who could facilitate, then there'll be more trust there than with a complete stranger. And so you're looking to stay connected in some relationship way if possible, but it does need to be someone that, that everybody in the circle trusts. Otherwise, it's extremely difficult to create the safety that's required for, the, for vulnerability, which is absolutely necessary to resolve conflict. We have to be vulnerable. Wow, really good. We jumped right into the deep parts of that. Thank you so much. Um, Kay, I want to unpack, um, we've talked about the, the amount of time that we spend and we talked about this specifically with the grief and loss circle that we do spend quite a bit of time getting settled in, doing our opening, our values and our relationship building. Will you talk about that a little bit and what that looks like in a conflict circle? In a conflict circle that becomes even more critical because when people are in conflict, they get a filter that, that, dis, that tends to distort any information from the one they're in conflict with. And so in order to hear each other cleanly, we have to first kind of take that filter apart if we can so that they, so that they really hear each other as opposed to everything gets twisted in the mind because of this filter. So in the first half of the circle, when you spend that time uh, finding common ground, and if people are coming in in conflict, they don't necessarily wanna be building relationship with the other person. So I actually wouldn't tell them that I'm building relationship, but I'm looking to find common ground because unless we can find some common ground, it's very difficult to hold our differences and conflict comes out of differences and we have to figure out how to hold our differences together in a good way. Um, so we need to do this work of finding common ground before we try to work on the issues that are causing the conflict in the family. And so that means sharing a little bit about who we are and what's important to us in our lives. And it means this discussion about values it also mean, might mean a little bit of storytelling uh, in the family. Sometimes you can do some storytelling about good times that help people remember that this conflict isn't all of their relationship, that their relationship is bigger than the conflict. Sometimes the conflict is serious enough that people 
don't even want to remember the good times. And so, so then you don't go to that, but you start, uh, you can ask questions that help people talk about what are very common human struggles. You know, like tell about a time that you thought you just couldn't do something and then you succeeded in doing it. Right? Everybody has those experiences. And as we tell those kinds of stories, we see ourselves in each other. And, and so we start to find, oh, there is some common ground. So our values will be common ground. And then in some storytelling, there'll be some, some common ground. Uh, and that, that you wanna do that kind of work so that you're starting to very slowly rebuild uh, a sense that we could be connected. We're not connected yet, but we could be connected again before you move into talking about whatever the difficulty is that you're struggling with in this current conflict. And I, and I wanna say that one of the problems that we face around this is that in, in our culture, we believe that we should get straight to the issues. But if we move straight to the issues, there's not enough trust in the group for people to be completely honest. And if we're not completely honest, can't actually get to the bottom of what's, what's going wrong in a relationship. And so we, we end up with, it's not safe enough for people to really say what they're thinking, so you don't really get at what's going on. And so any solution is very short term. It isn't very substantial, it doesn't last very long. And so we end up back in, in conflict again. And so though initially it seems like it takes more time to do that, that work creating the common ground at first, it actually is more efficient in the long run because it gets at the deeper issues that are feeding the conflict. Most conflicts come out around a surface issue but in fact are about something deeper. And so this helps us to get to the deeper thing, which then not only resolves this conflict, but prevents a whole series of conflicts that would happen in the future if we didn't get down deep enough. Yes, that's beautiful. Okay, thank you so much. I wanna go back to uh, something you highlighted that when you're exploring the issues, storytelling really has been enormously beneficial for families. It's been beneficial in my own family. Talk a little bit about that and kind of the balancing act of, well, it's not a balancing act, but the keeper is looking to not oust somebody who may have done harm or wrong. Talk about that in relationship to what storytelling can accomplish in a circle process. So one of the things that can happen, of course, when there's conflict or if one member of the family has really hurt another member of the family is that the one who has caused hurt is now may feel very isolated and very defensive and feel they feel so alone because they feel like they messed up and everybody else is judging them. And so one of the things that you do in that storytelling part of the circle is to help level the playing field by in that moment it may be that person who caused harm but overall in life we all do that we've all been a cause of harm to some people and we've all been hurt by other people and so uh, in that that storytelling part you can help people remember 
what it feels like when they messed up and that can produce more empathy for the one who might be messing up in this moment and make them feel like they're not the only one in the world who ever did such a thing so you might do a round in a circle where you invite people to think about a time in their life when they caused harm and then took responsibility for it in a good way so that's a story we can tell without so much shame because we took responsibility in a good way but we're all acknowledging that sometimes we cause harm or you you can also give people a chance to talk about you know a time when they were hurt and then they were able to heal from it and and so with these kinds of storytelling questions people start to feel the the, the thread of common humanity because these are universal experiences and and i want to offer one particularly if you're working with adolescents if if you have a conflict in the family uh, where the adolescent has acted out in some way then something that's very helpful is to take the adults back to being an adolescent themselves to remember and so you can do something like share an experience in your life when you were an adolescent and you got in trouble or share an experience in your life when you were an adolescent and you felt like nobody understood you those are universal human experiences when the parents remember and tell a story about that experiencing that in their lives it changes the way the children look at them because they think that their parents never went through any of the stuff that they're going through and suddenly they can see their their parents as human beings who have also gone through the kinds of adolescent angst that that they're going through and it helps the the adults remember because sometimes we get disconnected from our own adolescent experience and once we remember we can be more empathetic and we can be more constructive about what will really be helpful and um, so that that storytelling piece is a place for for some interesting creativity and is really developing that um, it's developing relationship and connection in a profound way awesome and so once we've worked through our opening, our values, guidelines, we've moved through exploring the issues, then the family is landing on uh, building consensus. So if this is a mild conflict or it's a misunderstanding, you're gonna uh, want to come to some sorts of, of decision, I can live with that. Now that doesn't mean that uh, it's perfect and we're all 100% in agreement and we're you know, going round and around and around until we have the perfect plan. Kay, talk about that with families and how to make plans and build consensus that everyone can live with. What does that look like? Uh, that's an interesting question uh, in the sense that as I think of some of the family circles that I did, what jumps to my mind first is that we don't try to tackle it all at once. <laughs> so you start with some of the the simpler things that they disagree on and 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 work through to some kind of agreement that works for both sides and then and then they get more energy because they say, oh we can agree on something so let's try this next thing that that we disagreed on so that was one um 
family circle that I did, it was adult siblings who were in conflict and about some property that was jointly owned. And, um, and we, we just, we worked through one set of things we came to agreement on, and then we could take on the ones that were a little more emotionally difficult. And then we could take on the ones that were, that were most emotionally difficult. And so we didn't try to figure it all out at once. It was like, okay, because what there's a, a wonderful practitioner who says, um, trust grows when agreements are made and kept. So when you have high levels of distrust, you can't necessarily get enough trust to do a big agreement, but you can maybe get enough trust to build a small agreement. And then if people follow through on the commitments, the trust is bigger. We can now come to agreement on some bigger piece of, of the, the disagreement. So that's one of the things to pay attention to. And you might have space in between. You might come to agreement on one piece and you give it three months for everybody to do what they said they would do. And then you come back together and you say, okay, I think we're ready now to, to work on another piece of where we had disagreement that I think maybe we have the strength now to, to find agreement there. Um, and there are a couple of things around the idea of consensus that, that are really important to pay attention to. So one of them is that if someone's blocking consensus and it doesn't make any sense, doesn't seem logical at all, then it might not be about this decision. It might be about feeling powerless in general, in some way, feeling powerless and that the person is actually exercising the power to block consensus, not because they actually care particularly about that decision, but that they need to feel some sense of power so that's something to, to pay attention to in consensus process that someone might block just because it feels so good to have some power <laughs> and to, to make something stop. Um, and in that case, you're going to try to spend some time with that person to get a sense of what's driving this sense of powerlessness and what do we as a family need to do to, um, about that. And the consensus is so much about understanding everybody need, everybody's needs and making sure everyone feels heard. Because in a consensus process, sometimes participants will be okay with a decision that, that wasn't their first choice if they feel you really heard them in the process. That, that they were deeply heard in the process and they saw people try to meet their need but nobody could quite figure out how to meet their need, then quite often people are willing to stand aside and said, it's okay, I can support this decision because I know people tried to figure out a way to meet my need. So consensus is so much about really paying attention to everyone and caring about them. And sometimes we can't figure out a decision that meets everybody's need. But if everyone felt deeply respected in the process, they're more likely to go along with a decision, even if it isn't their first choice. One thing that's so important to keep in mind for a family is that even if you haven't figured things out, even if there's still some strong feelings, if you have been really honest with each other in a respectful way, that is the single hardest thing uh, of trying to get to a better place, right? being honest in a respectful way 
with one another is the hardest step in moving toward a better place. If you achieve that, that's enormous. Even if you haven't sorted it all out yet, even if there's still some, some hard feelings, some hurt feelings, um, that practice of being on respectfully honest to one another, that's huge as a huge accomplishment. The other thing to think about is not just who's facilitating the circle, it's who else you need in the circle to be able to move through this situation in a good way. With a very mild conflict, you may be able to work that out internally in the family. But my experience with family circles is that it dramatically increases the capacity to work through difficult issues if you bring in trusted people um, that are either extended family or a close neighbor or um, someone you know well through a, a church affiliation or a faith community that if you bring in one or two people who are not directly involved in the conflict they help to hold a really steady space they help to be witness to the pain they also witness to this courageous struggle that the family is doing by by actually coming together it's a huge courageous step to come together in a circle and so uh, one of the the same family circle that i referenced earlier we had two people in that circle and as i mentioned these were uh, adult siblings and they brought in a friend who had grown up with them and knew all of them had a good relationship with all of them this is a role that's so helpful if you can bring somebody into the circle who has a good relationship with the parties who are in conflict sometimes that might be right within the nuclear family but sometimes that can be somebody who's come from the outside the other the other person who was a part of that was a good friend of uh, one of the couples because they they had spouses in this circle as well and um the, who belonged to their church so it was somebody they, they trusted and felt close to and there was a point in that circle when that woman was incredibly vulnerable sharing about conflict in her own intimate partner situation that really really helped to shift the energy of the space she brought in this really amazing vulnerability that was allowed them to feel like oh she understands what we're going through because she's she's willing to talk about going through something similar in her own life that was a, a pretty vulnerable revelation so so there are two aspects here to whether you you look outside the immediate family and and one of those is sometimes you do for facilitation and the more serious the situation if you have any issues of trust then you look outside and also if it would be helpful to the family to to have someone there who loves the family cares about the well-being of the family and has good relationships with everyone. Very powerful uh, source of hope in the in the family when you have in the in the process when you have someone like that. Thank you. 
you know, Kay, you're uh, opening up a kind of a new conversation for some of those that are listening to our workshop. They might be in a role as a provider to a family. And so when you talk about like people within the faith community that might be able to step into this, this is something that uh, faith communities, therapists, they can pick this up as well and provide supports to families that are struggling through conflict. So friends, as you're listening to this and you're thinking about your own circumstances, this is a phenomenal way to include others in your, your network or if you're a provider yourself of being able to offer supports to families. It feels a little bit different, but again, we just wanted to kind of lead you through the uh, possibilities of how powerful circles can be and the various roles in which people can play to support families.